Welcome, beautiful people to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. Today, we're going to talk about Nintendo's Mini Direct and Epic Games entering the publishing business. So today's kind of a Camp Koji Mini, just not that much news. But first, we're going to start off with GameStop. After closing 321 stores during their last fiscal year, GameStop has announced that they will close 300 more stores this year. Now, the store closings kind of uh, sound really drastic. You know, anytime people hear about stores closing down, they always think to themselves like, oh man, this is the end. But it's just a a really, really good way to uh, consolidate funds and sort of start pivoting their business. And the one thing people have to remember is that uh, just in the U.S., they have over 5,500 stores. So um, closing out 300 is actually, or another 300 is actually a small percentage of the stores that they already have. You know, GameStop went through a period of time where I personally felt, I think this was happening around like 2013, that felt that they were expanding really, really quickly, especially here in the city. Like they, they felt like they started putting... Um, what I consider redundant stores, which is like a store just a few blocks from another one. So um, obviously they're um, understanding now that uh, they probably did open too many stores. And I know for here in the city, a lot of the stores that have been closing are usually just ones that are in very close proximity to another location or close enough that someone can get to that store, you know, just a few train stops away or something like that. Um it looks like really that's where they've um, uh, been focusing. Um, they also confirmed that they did turn a profit in the fourth quarter despite a 28% dip in sales. The COVID crisis itself has led to a 2% sales increase. Um, obviously, as you can see, one of the reasons why GameStop would love nothing more than to remain as open as they possibly can um, in order to turn around this business. Look, the way that GameStop is going to sell it, the way they're going to spin it is the same that they've been trying to convince their employees of, which is, uh, I understand that calling themselves essential retail sounds, I mean, come on, man, that's ridiculous. But I think the way that GameStop is trying to convince their own employees of is, hey, we're essential to, you know, people enjoying this time being locked down at home. You know, we're essential um, in terms of giving them that piece of entertainment that they need in order to um, make this lockdown and make this social distancing a little bit more bearable. But the issue is that, you know, it's like I said before, unless you do not own the hardware, um, you know, you software can be accessed, you know, you can just download it digitally. So I definitely would not ever think of GameStop as essential retail. GameStop also said uh, during that same call that this all comes from an, a shareholder um, call that they had. Uh, they said there are currently no indications that the Xbox Series X or the PS5 will be delayed this year. Um, I sort of do agree with that. I am a little bit concerned about the PlayStation just because we haven't seen it yet, but Sony has reiterated that they are still targeting holiday 2020. Now, the one thing that I think will be a result of this is is that uh, there will probably be limited stock for the holidays with probably a big replenishment in March 2021. So that's definitely something to think about. If you really are thinking about picking up any of these systems, Definitely be ready day one to pre-order at whatever retailer you want to pre-order it at. I feel like if you didn't pre-order this system, there's just, it doesn't look like there'll probably be a way to get it at launch. 
uh, just because I feel like there will be a lot of demand. And on top of that, the stock, they, they, they both companies, in my experience, a stock shortage um, because of COVID and the fact that the China factories were shut down for, for a bit of time. Um, and that's also with the disruption that happened here in the U S with a lot of people having to work from home. So, um, you know, that maybe there are, there will be, uh, shortages for, for, uh, both of these systems. Um, but the, I, I hate to use the word funny. I want to say this is the funniest update from GameStop, uh, last week, but probably the weirdest one was GameStop sent out an email to their employees. And this email went out to stores that are able to remain open. There are certain states, I think California is one of them, that have put a complete lockdown on non-essential retail stores, with GameStop being obviously non-essential. And um, they, other states are allowing um, stores to remain open, but with, you know, modifications. So... I think Star Starbucks, for example, can deliver it to the door also, but they no one can sit inside or something like that. Um, you know, if they're gonna have a line, I think the line each person has to wait has to stand six feet apart, so no one is like right on top of each other. So there are these sort of modifications you have to go through, and um, so this went out to the stores that are able to remain open in the United States um, with certain modifications. So. GameStop recently, uh, and I think I brought this up either last week or the week before last, was they're able to deliver at the door. So you can uh, pay for something online, deliver at the door. And I guess they wanted to accommodate uh, customers who, I don't know, for whatever reason, they weren't ordering online. They wanted to use a credit card at the point of sale once they get to the store. So there's the email that they sent out to employees basically best practices for writing a credit card they said workers have been told to wrap a plastic bag around one hand to protect it from exposure to the virus open the door crack and take the customer's credit card employers are then to run the card with a hand still encased in the bag flip the bag inside out leaving the card inside put the purchase in the bag and hand it back through the door i mean (laughs) Come on, man. Like that, that's just, that's ridiculous, man. And, uh, you know, it's, it's obvious that they're not, even at this point in time, they're not really supporting the stores in terms of giving them, you know, uh, protective equipment in terms of gloves. I mean, from what I've been reading, there aren't really game stops or employees from within these game stops have, you know, I haven't really seen any positive stories from GameStop employees in, in terms of like, oh, now we're finally being sent masks and gloves and sanitizing equipment and stuff like that. So um, it still remains that way. So for GameStop, I mean, I understand that the, the company isn't doing well, but I feel like knowing GameStop as much as I know GameStop, uh, I feel like even if GameStop was doing really well as, as a company, this would probably still be happening. I mean, look, GameStop... I'll be honest, GameStop is just a company that I would never categorize as a company that really cares about or cares for its employees. I mean, you know, I've 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 met and known a lot of people that work at GameStop 
um, from my time personally as a as, as a GameStop manager, and this was like a decade ago. It's been it's been a while, and um, I will say within the past three years, I've, every time I meet an an employee, I've always encouraged them to find um, or start seeking employment outside of GameStop. Because I've always had that in my mind for years that, look, GameStop is going to slowly begin declining uh, because of the advent of digital cloud gaming coming around the corner. And, um, you know, it's it's always sad to see these store closings because you know that as a result of these store closings, you know, maybe some employees might be retained and moved to other stores. But the reality is, is that most of them will probably just be uh, not probably most of them will be fired. So. Um, you know, definitely if you work at any GameStop anywhere in the United States of America, 100%, you should be, uh, focused on finding more secure retail. If you're able to, um, do not definitely don't get comfortable and think that, oh, my store is doing well. It'll never happen here. Um, that's definitely not the case. It absolutely can happen at any store that, um, they will actually just completely shut it down, uh, at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I'm not really surprised at what what uh, what GameStop is 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 doing here. I I definitely don't understand why they would even put their employees in that position. Um, when the alternative is just fine to ask people, you know, hey, can you just uh, order this online and I'll bring it to you at the door? To have to do this whole credit card exchange, flipping the bag inside out, it's just it's just ridiculous. I mean. Come on. Now, for our first story of the week, last week, Nintendo Direct uh, surprise dropped a Nintendo Direct Mini. We knew that some sort of Direct was coming uh, in the month of March, but they kind of just dropped out of nowhere. Personally, I love that they did this. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm so I'm so tired of, of um, Direct buzz. I'm so sick and tired of it. And, you know, usually... Another thing that causes it is Nintendo announcing the day before, hey, we have a direct coming. You know, it's, it's, it's really gotten to the point that, you know, there's such a demand coming in from um, gamers to want to know what's going to be announced. Like leaks in the year 2020 have reached such a fever pitch at this point that, you know, before I felt like employees within Nintendo understood what was the what was deemed like the surprise, you know, N- Nintendo always Nintendo is, you know, as far as I know, as far as what I've experienced, has always been very very careful about keeping their secrets. And one of the things about Nintendo as a company is that it's an amazing company, and I feel like when you work for a great company and you feel supported as an employee, uh, the chances that you will leak information lowers dramatically compared to something like a GameStop employee, right? A GameStop employee, every single email that comes through that's supposed to be only for GameStop employees, you'll notice that GameStop employees immediately just release it out to media and share it to, to, to people to, to share with other people, even if it's anonymously. And a lot of that just comes from people that are just, I'm, I'm just unhappy with this job. I'm unhappy with my company. That's why I'm doing this. And I think the leaks that we're seeing now from 
from Nintendo because the amount of leaks that we've been seeing from Nintendo to me is like record. I've never seen this many leaks coming from within Nintendo. Personally, my if I had to take a guess, I would say that's coming from their QA division, their testing division. Um, I don't think it, it's something that would come internally from the treehouse or anyone working in, inside of the actual Nintendo Redmond headquarters. I do think that's a separate building that houses testers. I'm pretty sure that's where a lot of these leaks are coming from. But I don't think it's because they don't like the company or they're tired of it or it's like I'm, I'm going to stick it to the man or anything like that. I do feel that leaks have reached such a fever pitch. It's like even if that leaker from within Nintendo can't put their name on there and say like, yeah, it was me that did this. I think to them, it's like even if it's just two minutes out of the 15 minutes of fame that the person that actually published news gets, I feel like once they kind of satisfy that appetite that they're seeing from gamers, I think that makes them happy enough to just continue to to, to continuously leak things. So um, I find it really, really interesting, once again, that we're seeing so many so many leaks. Um, and we'll talk about one of those later, which was kind of this Mario um, announcement. Uh, so it was a surprise to see two things. Number one, this Direct did not leak. No one really knew it was coming. And then number two, that a lot of the content within this Direct um, did not leak. Now, the Direct uh, started off with a date confirmation for Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition coming out May 29th. That should be a pretty big title for Nintendo, so it's good to finally have a date out there. Um, May 29th is, if I'm not mistaken, that it is the same date as Last of Us 2, unless it experiences another delay, but I don't really see this being an issue in terms of sales. Two completely different system exclusives, two completely different types of games, two completely different audiences, so <clears throat> there's no way they will be impacted by that. Uh, they one of the other announcements was from uh, 2K. 2K announced three 2K games that are coming uh, for whatever reason. I think it's completely stupid to do this, but they decided to not only release on May 29th, which is the same exact date as Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, but they also decided to release all three announced games on the same exact date. I have absolutely no idea why you would do this as a company. Not only are you competing with Xenoblade, um, in terms of comp competing with people's money for that week or for that date. But you're also ha competing with yourself if you as a company put three of your franchises um, on the system at the same exact day. And they didn't just announce three different games. They announced three different packs. So not really understanding why 2K decided to go this way doesn't really make much sense to me. But they announced the XCOM 2 collection includes XCOM 2 four DLC packs, and the War of the Chosen expansion. I think it was a good uh, decision by 2K to bring this over to Nintendo Switch. I think they'll definitely get sales. I think they'll definitely find an audience for that. Uh, next announcement was Borderlands Legendary Collection. That includes Borderlands, Borderlands 2, and Borderlands the pre-sequel. And then last but not least, they announced Bioshock Remastered Collection. It includes Bioshock Remastered, Bioshock 2 Remastered, and Bioshock Infinite the Complete Edition. Um, look, some of these games, I don't think they're going to be like sales explosions, uh, for 2k, but I feel like they're going to impact their sales even more by releasing these games on the same exact 
date. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, look, Bioshock and Borderlands are very different types of shooters, but they're still both first-person shooters. XCOM kind of is the, is the one that sort of just exists on its own because of the type of game that it is. And I think there is a demand for those types of games on a, a system or a console like the Switch. Just have no idea why they would do all three of these on the same date. And uh, the other issue that came about this is the fact that, you know, this is another release that we're seeing from companies where uh, the cartridge on the shelf is not actually the entire game. Uh, after the announcement, there was a press release. They confirmed Xbox, excuse me, XCOM 2 comes on an 8 gigabyte cartridge that will only have the first two missions in the game installed. To get the rest, you need to download up to 24 gigs more. The Bioshock collection comes on a 16 gig cartridge but only contains what they call, quote, the opening acts of each of the three games with the rest needed to be downloaded. Uh, and then the big one was uh, Borderlands Legendary Collection. That will require an additional 41.6 gigabyte download to fully play. So if you just have your Switch, you will have to buy an additional um, SD card in order to actually play these games in full. You know, honestly, um, I understand the need. The, excuse me, I understand the need to want shelf space, um, and I think that's the reason why these games are coming out in boxes is just to have something on the shelf, um, just for people that aren't sort of plugged in. But the fact that digital games are overtaking physical games every single year, the fact that Nintendo Switch is arguably built to be a downloadable system and the fact that i have to download most of these assets anyway i just have no idea why you even sink any amount of money into um, putting a retail version on the shelf just sort of just doesn't make any sense to me i mean personally if i was um 2k what i would personally do is release these collections separately on separate dates um, on the Nintendo eShop, and then what I would have at retail, would I would try to fit three of these games into one. So maybe try to fit just the base of XCOM 2, the base of the first Bioshock, the base of Borderlands 2, fit them all into a 32 gigabyte cartridge, which I think would be possible, and then call it the 2K collection. And then when you buy that, you get your cartridge, you get all three of those games in one package for, you know, whatever, 40 bucks make it very enticing um and then inside the games themselves and maybe put a slip in kind of uh ad inside of the box uh advertising the collections and maybe for each of the games in the main menu you're uh kind of prompted like hey you can download and buy bioshock 2 and things like that i just have no idea why you'd make three different packages for games where most of it just has to be downloaded, just kind of just doesn't make any sense to me. It's not really a value proposition for a consumer. And like I said, you might as well just sell these online. So a couple of things with this. Number one, I, I just don't see these games doing that great at retail. Uh, number two, once again, have absolutely no idea why you as a company would compete with yourself and not only put three of your games on the same date, but release it on the same exact date as a, not, I wouldn't say Xenoblade is a huge first party exclusive, but it's a pretty big first party exclusive for uh, Nintendo. You know, RPGs are doing exponentially better every single year that they release on the Nintendo Switch. 
just have absolutely no idea why you would release it um, on that same exact date. And this goes back to um, what I spoke about on an episode, of, I think it was in December, which was, I think it was the 2020 Vision episode, where I talked about companies still have not, it seems that companies still have not figured out um, how to properly utilize the Switch's demographic and what makes it unique as a system. I think there's still a lot of companies that think, hey, you know what, I can't put Borderlands 3 on here. Uh, it, won't, it won't be able to run in the system, but let me just get all the old ones on here. Let me just get all the old Bioshocks. Let me just, and, and, and mind you, these aren't really remasters. You know, they're pretty much the same game. Maybe they'll add, you know, motion control or something like that, right? But um, they're not really an HD remaster of any of these games. Um, they're not putting any extra content on it. It's just a re-release of these games that have been out for years. And I think it's one thing I've been talking about or I spoke about on that episode a few months back is that companies need to figure out what games are either A, in my library that will work specifically for the type of consumer that owns a Switch or what game can I invest in to release on this system that I feel would sell pretty well, right? So a game like XCOM, in my opinion, makes sense. I feel like if I was 2K, I would have invested in XCOM 2. I would have remastered it or add extra content or extra missions and really focus on that rather than just re-release Bioshock and Borderlands on there, which are games that, as I said personally, I just don't think will do very, very well on a system like Nintendo Switch. Um, I think you kind of lose a lot in those games um, in terms of playing it portably. I just don't think it would really work very well. I can only imagine how small the text will be in, in a game like Borderlands when trying to, you know, um, find new weapons and find out what's more powerful than this. I just can't imagine it, it really being a great experience. So once again, I think that, 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 that circle keeps happening with a lot of these companies is, they notice, wow, they have an install base, which we don't have official numbers, which which should be at 60, close to 60 million, definitely over 54 million right now for the Nintendo Switch. And then they say, how can I take advantage of that? And then they say, well, I don't want to invest too much into something original that I will only release in the system. So let me just put out a re-release. That re-release does bad. And then they're like, okay, maybe there's nothing we can do with this system. Maybe we just can't really figure this out. And that's exactly what happened with EA which my argument is you have to make something that will work for the system. It just doesn't make any sense to just put out re-releases. Another announcement was Fantastic Four Shadow of Doom. Uh, That was the third and final planned DLC for Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 that was announced. They also dropped a free rhythm game update for Ring Fit Adventures, um, among other improvements. That is a free update. Um, You know, there were shortages that happened in China and other shortages are happening everywhere to the point where I actually checked the secondhand market ring fit adventures is going for up to $200 right now. The Nintendo switch system is going for like 400, $500. So Nintendo is definitely feeling that impact of uh, shortages because they weren't able to manufacture enough to prepare for this. Sony and Microsoft aren't really feeling those shortages because obviously they have had a longer life cycle. They've had, they, they probably have, not probably, they definitely do have more systems in stock in order to replenish. Uh, so Nintendo, unfortunately, with the combination of Animal Crossing, especially, they're now experiencing a shortage. 
and how the secondhand market is beginning to take advantage of that. Uh, they, they announced also a couple of same-day drops, a puzzle game called Good Job, which actually looks pretty fun. I was interested in getting it. Um, so maybe I might pick it up at some point. Star Wars Jedi Knight, Jedi Academy, Capcom's deep sea exploration game Shinsekai Into the Depth will be a, I think it's a timed exclusive for the Switch. I'm not 100% sure. It previously did um, debut on Apple Arcade. So it sort of looks like app, the games that come to Apple Arcade, we did confirm that they are exclusive to mobile to Apple Arcade. They can't release on Android. So we'll never see Shinsekai, for example, on Android. But it looks like Whoever adds something to the Apple Arcade, unless it's already existing on a console at that time, I think it looks like you have to wait about six months in order to put it on a different console. It looks like that's part of the uh, contract and the agreement that companies and developers and publishers make with Apple, but we're not 100% sure because we haven't actually seen that. But it looks like that's what it is. Uh, Panzer Drango Remake also dropped the same day as the Direct Mini. That's also a ton exclusive for the Switch. Um, what we're announced was that they confirmed that the next Smash Brothers fighter will be an ARMS character. There was a really super old rumor, I want to say a year ago, um, that was pointing to Mechanica coming to um, uh, coming to Super Smash Brothers. So who knows if that will um, be the one. I personally think Helix from that um, lineup would fit really well. Or maybe Springman and Ribbon Girl kind of uh, different costumes would, would sort of make sense also. Um, but I feel like if it was Springman and Ribbon Girl, I feel like even if they weren't ready to show it, I personally feel like they would have just announced that they were coming. Um, so the fact that they showed all the fighters, I feel like points to it not being the kind of the cover boy, cover girl, which is Ribbon Ribbon Girl and, and, and Springman. Um so it might be Mechanica. I mean, look, I took a couple of things away from this. Number one, I kind of don't understand why they would add an ARMS character. You know, look, ARMS was a pretty cool game. I think it was a really great launch title. Um, but it's, it's. I mean, it's not even sort of. It is, it is a dead game. I mean, the game did sell over 2 million copies, but that's not really good enough for a Nintendo game. It just really isn't. Uh, I personally don't think that, that the game has earned a sequel. Um, they, along with the announcement of a Smash character, they also announced that there will be a free play week where people can try out ARMS for free. Um, but to tell you the truth, ARMS died because of Nintendo, you know, in order to really keep your fighting game, um, competitive and put it out there, you have to be embraced by the fighting game community. You have to create a game that embraces that competitive aspect. And I think when it got to the point where it looks like the FGC wasn't really picking it up, um, Nintendo should have put a more conceited effort to partnering um, with different companies in order to have tournaments for this game and really encourage players to, 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 to practice it and buy it and really enjoy it. Because I feel like that, that word of mouth is really what is carrying a lot of fighting games right now. Uh, I think I, they did have the game playable during... The, during Evo that year that it, it was supposed to debut or that or the year that it came out but that's just not enough you have to to run tournaments you have to constantly be putting this game out there they did a great job with adding updates and adding new characters for free and things like that um but they just haven't been supporting the game enough and I don't think that adding a smash fighter is going to reinvigorate uh arms 
unless they decide this year is finally the year that they're going to announce, you know, Nintendo Switch selects, you know, certain games for like 20, 30 bucks. I think ARMS, they could probably get more and more people into the game if they were to drop the price of it. Um, you know, Nintendo is one of those companies that's really, really resistant on dropping the price of their games. And that's usually because um, uh, Nintendo has a lot of what they consider evergreen titles, which are games that sell forever. It doesn't matter when they release, right? The attach rate for Nintendo's consoles are always the highest among all three. And that's usually because as soon as someone picks up the game, excuse me, picks up the system, they'll pick up Mario Kart. They'll pick up Smash. They'll pick up Mario Odyssey. They'll pick up Zelda. These are what they consider evergreen titles. ARMS, unfortunately, is just not one of them. Some other announcements they made is third-party game Ninjala dropping May 27th. Clubhouse, Clubhouse Games 51 Worldwide Classic dropping on June 5th. Catherine Full Body arrives July 7th. Burnout Paradise Remastered coming sometime in 2020. Star Wars Episode One Racer coming in 2020. And then they ended it with some additional details for the expansion packs for Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield. So as I said, once again, if you look at the third-party games that were announced... Same thing, rehashes, remasters, not even remasters, re-releases from really old games that have been out um, on other consoles for quite some time. And, you know, we've talked about that a lot on the show. Nintendo Switch, um, the types of uh, consumers that will go after these third-party, especially third-party mature titles like Catherine uh, or something like Bioshock, um, are usually consumers that own um, two systems with Nintendo Switch being their second one and usually are consumers that have already played these games years ago. There's no reason why um, they will go after these games. So once again, just not really understanding why um, companies are not investing more into Nintendo Switch, uh, a system that is only rising will only continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger um, especially in a year like like this year of 2020 with the release of Animal Crossing, um, with the possible potential, I think, release of uh, Breath of the Wild 2 coming this holiday. Like, you know, their install base could reach 70 million this year, over 70 mil. So I just don't understand how so many third-party companies are just completely ignoring the Nintendo Switch and not sitting down and saying what what works, what what should work, you know, why aren't these companies looking into their back catalog and creating something that would, you know, exist as unique and, you know, but still be in line with, um, you know, what 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 they're doing um, or taking successful franchises that. Um, only release on third party and finding a way to make them work on Nintendo Switch by, you know, I, I can't even think of anything right now, but, you know, let's say you take something like Bi you know, Bioshock or Borderlands and you make a side-scrolling indie type of small title to release on the eShop, you know, low overhead, but something that has a much higher ceiling to sell because you're making it digital from the beginning it's still in the same franchise, but it's a brand new experience to people who have already played the franchise or people that are just getting into it. So, like I said, if in order to make third party successful on the Switch, you have to, you know, think outside of the box. You can't just re-release games that worked on other systems. It just doesn't make any sense. 
Now for our final story of the week uh, is about Epic Games. Epic Games announced a plan to get into publishing. Last week, Epic Games announced a new publishing label called Epic Games Publishing. Uh, the first three studios have already signed deals and they already announced what those three studios are. Uh, before I get into that, um, Epic Games is entering publishing. Uh, it seems that they're entering it into this um, sort of brand new type of business the same way that they entered the business of creating a PC storefront, which is we have such a strong, you know, bank, you know, in terms of uh, cash and liquidity on hand because of the success of Fortnite that continues and continues to generate business. Because when you think of Fortnite, you're not just thinking of the money that they make on um you know, skins and, and dances and things like that. You also have to factor in the, the, the licensing and, you know, all the physical items that they're, that, that they're making money on with the, you know, the, the weaponry and apparel and all that stuff. You have to think about the partnership deals that they've been doing with Disney, um, with the different Marvel characters and, and, you know, the star Wars partnership that they, that they did. Um, you have to think about the battle pass. Like there's so many revenue streams that Epic has been able to create that I think the company looked inward and they said, we have such a strong cash flow right now. Where else can we branch out? And I've said this before. I truly, truly 100% do believe that Epic, obviously Epic, any business is about making money, but I do believe that their end goal is to force other big companies to compromise a lot more than they used to in order to support developers a lot more you know epic games their whatever this plan that was put in place let's say if it was like a five-year plan whoever was put into that meeting to create this five-year plan because it's not like epic games decided to enter publishing two weeks ago right um, whatever group of people came up with that plan, that's that's an absolutely amazing team because what Epic gets out of everything that's happening is, number one, you do have an additional revenue stream. Even if it's a revenue stream that has less of a potential that you know that you can take by launching the same uh, type of business but taking a bigger cut, by taking a lower cut from this this new publishing deal and from their PC storefront, they're doing a couple things. Number one, they're creating a much stronger partnership with developers and publishers a lot quicker than they would have if they would have just done exactly what Steam is doing and take, you know, only give away 12% instead of what is it, 30% or something like that. Um, they're creating and forging relationships a lot quicker with developers and publishers. They able to uh, increase the number of users a lot quicker um, by signing up exclusives and number two, giving away games for free. They've been giving away a f at least one game for free every week since since the store launch was was been a year now or something like that. Um, and then on the other side, I think what they truly are hoping to do is to force other publishers to change their deals to 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 force Steam to take a lower cut in order for developers to retain more money. And if they're able to do that, what's going to happen is that they're going to be looked upon as 
as heroes, as, as, as the game changers within the industry from a lot of developers and publishers, especially publishers, if that goal were to ever happen where Steam does budge and say, you know what, we're actually going to start taking a little bit less, so they're going to rework it. There's no way that Steam would have just one day woke up and said, you know what, let's let's be a little less, I want to use the term greedy, but let's let's you know what i think developers deserve more let's give them a bigger cut there's no way they would have come to that conclusion if it wasn't for what epic is doing now what they're doing is they're trying to do the same to publishing at some point they're hoping that with this new deal that they can sort of force other publishers to 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 change away their contracts or maybe even give uh, stronger negotiating power to developers and publishers. You know, if you're a developer that's bringing a game to a publisher and they give you a deal and you tell that publisher, well, you know what? I've spoken to Epic and this is the deal they gave me Then maybe you might be able to get something a little bit better and maybe at a publisher that you would prefer um, other than, than Epic. So, you know, I think what they're doing is honestly 100%, I do believe they are truly doing it for a goal of it being better for the industry overall and creating a healthier industry but at the same time you know almost going a little bit like the amazon route which is i'm okay with losing money as long as i get market share and then at some point i'll get so much market share that i'm going to force my competitors to change and match up with me or i'm going to gain the public trust. And I think that's exactly what Epic is going through right now with this new type of business. Now, the first three studios that they signed are also just huge acquisitions. I mean, first one was Gen Design, which are the makers of The Last Guardian. Uh, now, the head of that studio, for those who don't know, is Fumito Ueda, who was the lead designer behind Eco and Shadow of the Colossus uh, that both released on PlayStation. For those that don't remember, Last Guardian was also a PlayStation exclusive, um, but that was after he branched out and created Gen Design. That was a third-party exclusive um, that was published by Sony. Um so it looks like he's working on some uh, some sort of brand new IP, and it's going to be um, published by Epic Games. The second one is also a huge acquisition, which is Play Dead, and that comes from that company is the one that makes uh, Limbo and Inside. I haven't played through Limbo, but I was able to finally play through Inside about two months ago. Just an absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing game. Um, and then the third, which is a really, really strong acquisition, which was Remedy Entertainment. Uh, they're best known for Max Payne, Alan Wake, and most recently, the game that's been sweeping all the awards uh, for 2019, which was Control. Now, the terms of the deals are just mind-blowing to me. You know, the the amount of control they give to the developers is unprecedented. So uh, there's three main kind of branches to that contract. Number one is that the developer gets full creative freedom and creative control. Now, once that's written into a contract, what that means is that if a developer brings, I'm sure before this uh, deal happened, the developer had something in mind to bring to Epic Games and said, hey, you know what? We want to work on a third party, excuse me, third person combat, uh, single player epic adventure set in the viking era or whatever right and um let's say in the middle of it they say you know what we want to make it first person we feel like this is better 
for some deals, a publisher can step in and say, no, we've seen that third party, third person is what's hot right now. We think it would do better financially. You have to keep it third person. And because of the terms of the deal, as a developer, you have no say in it. You know, you just have to switch it. You can make the best argument you can, but um, the publisher studio gets sort of the final cut. They get the final say. Um, so the first part of this new deal is that they have full creative freedom and they have full creative control, which means that Epic is saying, do whatever you do best, whatever you want, as weird as you want to make it. Is there a game that an employee came up with within your, um, within your company that every other publisher said, this is too risky, can't do it, get, make that game if you want, which is pretty amazing. There are so many developers that will love nothing more than for full creative control and creative freedom. Cause when a company is given that we get games like death stranding, you know, we get like these really weird games that would, in my opinion, never exist um, unless a developer had full creative control. There's no way Kojima was going to go into a deal without full creative freedom and creative control, right? Um, so that's the first part of this initiative. They get full creative freedom and creative control. Now, Epic picked three perfect companies to give creative freedom and creative control because when you look at something like Play Dead, um, you see the creativity come out of that game. And if you were to stifle that, you're just gonna you're just gonna mess up the release at the end of the day. Same goes for Remedy and with games like Alan Wake and Control. You want them to give you you want them to to, to give you you know all of their creativity one hundred percent untapped and not be able to stop them right. And that, and the same goes for Gen Design. I mean, you look at the games that Fumito has created and have come out of his his mind like Eco Shadow Colossus and The Last Guardian. You have these three amazing games to stand on their own. You want them to have that full creative freedom. Uh, the second part of it, which is just as important, is that the developer keeps one hundred percent of the IP rights. Now, this is once once again just unprecedented and unheard of. Most publishing deals, when a developer comes to a publisher, the publisher owns one hundred percent of the rights to that. Um, intellectual property. Now, what that means is that, you know, when you look at a game like, when you look at a studio like Platinum Games, which is finally going into their own individual publishing, I mean, you have to imagine what they've been having to go through as a developer. You know, they've created some pretty iconic characters throughout their time. You know, when it comes to, you know, uh, Bayonetta, Wonderful 101, you know, their upcoming uh, Babylon's Fall, for example. They've created these IPs, you know, near uh, Automata, for example. They've been able to create these games and these experiences, but they own absolutely none of the intellectual property. Bayonetta, for example, was at first owned by Sega 100%. Then when Sega did not want to pursue developing a sequel, Nintendo wanted to pursue it. Nintendo struck a deal with Sega. They said, we'll cover the publishing costs, uh, but we want to own 50% because Sega just wasn't going to give away Bayonetta. So Sega retained 50% of the IP right to Bayonetta. Um, so Nintendo doesn't 100% own it, but once they own that IP, you know, if they want to create, if Nintendo and Sega decide to, they want to create a Bayonetta film, which personally I think would actually do really well, uh, uh, the team at, at Platinum Games sees absolutely none of that revenue because they don't own the IP. At one point, Remedy, um, 
when they created Alan Wake, for example, Max Payne, Max Payne, that IP is owned by Rockstar. Alan Wake, that IP was once owned by Microsoft, but Remedy actually purchased the rights back a year ago. Could one of these games coming to the Epic Publishing be Alan Wake? It's possible because they do own the rights to it now. Um, so for them to, to be able to keep 100% of the IP rights, what, what that means is that if this game releases and for for whatever reason Remedy says, you know what, I really didn't like this experience of working with Epic, if they decide to do a sequel to that game, they can go ahead and take it to another publisher, which is once again unheard of. But I think what Epic is hoping for is that they do such a great job that they would never want to go to another publisher again. I think that's really what their aim is. And when it comes to these um you know these parameters of these these contracts i have absolutely no idea why you would ever want to go to another publisher again if you're able to re-sign something like this um the other thing is that epic will cover as much as 100 percent of the development costs including employee salaries once again absolutely unheard of i mean i i don't know what else to say when it comes to this for them to be able to cover um, as much as 100% of development costs, I'm sure that there's some sort of deal that struck. Maybe it's maybe it's a little bit lower depending on the publisher. I'm sure that Remedy is a little bit of a bigger publisher. Maybe they're not covering 100%, but still, if it's up to 100%, including salaries, it's amazing. And then the other thing is that once the game is released and costs are recouped, developers will retain at least a 50% profit. So what that means is that if it costs Epic... $5 million to publish that game, which would probably be way more than that. Um, once the profit, um, you know, the net profit of that game reaches $5 million, then at that point is when the developer will begin seeing profit. And that profit goes up to 50%. Usually these cuts are uh, 30 to 45, 50% is unheard of. And then for it to be at least 50, that's the most interesting one. That probably means that Epic maybe put in some sort of initiatives into the contract, maybe. We don't know that much, but maybe it's something like, hey, if you guys reach a meta score of 90, your profit will increase to 55. If you hit 10 million sales within a month, 20 million within three months, your cut goes up to 60%. Maybe they put those sort of parameters in it. Um, once again, just just amazing. The, I mean, the, the the deal, and I was looking at some developers talking about it. The deal is pretty much like uh, you know, developers would would fight to the death to have this sort of deal from a publisher. It, it really is an amazing deal. Um, now, what's interesting is that Remedy creative director Sam Lake and 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 the face of of the first Max Payne uh, confirmed that they are working on two multi platform games for next gen consoles and PC. That will be published by Epic Games. So the contract that they signed is actually for two games. As far as we know, the contract from Gen Design and Play Dead are only for one game each. Now, what Sam Lake is basically confirming is that uh, these deals do include multi-platform games. They're not going to be PC exclusive, which just makes the utmost sense. If you're a publisher, you want to make as much money and bring in as much revenue as possible. It just wouldn't make any sense making these PC exclusives. Uh, now, what was not confirmed is will these be Epic Game Store exclusives at first? I mean, come on, they definitely will be. Um, but in my opinion, there's no way that Epic will make these games exclusive forever. It just doesn't make any sense. 
Personally, I think they're going to do a one-year exclusivity after one year on Epic Game Store. You'll definitely see it come to Steam and other storefronts. It just doesn't make any sense from a publishing standpoint to just lock your game behind one storefront. It just doesn't make any sense. So I, I just don't see that happening. Um, on his Twitter, Sam Lake also confirmed, quote, the first project is our most ambitious one yet, a AAA game already in pre-pro, which means pre-production. The second is a new, smaller-scale project set in the same franchise. So it'll be really interesting to see what this is. I mean, personally, my hope um, is that it is uh, a sequel to Alan Wake. They did kind of hint at Alan Wake inside of Control. I absolutely love Alan Wake. Um, that That's kind of a franchise that, you know, could definitely i could see it crossing over on the, on the tv have his own tv series i think alan wake has them what has that type of narrative and story and characters behind it i would absolutely love that to happen but obviously we'll just have to wait and see so you know just to summarize it once again i i mean this is unheard of it's, it's unprecedented this type of publishing deal and as much as i do Understand that, you know, Epic is looking at this, hey, this is a business. We need to be able to make some sort of money off of this. I 100% believe that they're doing this, A, for market share in order to be able to get more companies to sign in under their publishing. Two, in order to get even more people using Unreal Engine. I think that's also a big, big move for them, especially since um, they waive those licensing fees for the engine if you um, publish an Epic a game exclusive to, exclusively to the Epic Games Store. Um, and I think it truly is um, being done in a way in order to give more um, negotiating power to developers when they go to the table i truly do 100 percent do believe that i think there is some people that might look at this as purely just a way to get market share um in order for epic to take away you know developers and market share from other storefronts like steam and other publishers um you know like ea or whatever but i i 100 do truly believe that um epic is doing this with the best of intentions they're approaching this the same way that they did with the PC storefront, which is we really want to increase the health of our industry as a whole. I do believe that there that truly is the mission statement as a company. Um, and to me, it's just working. I mean, you know, when you when you think about it, forget about fans, forget about gamers who were bashing the Epic Game Store for whatever reason. At the end of the day, developers seem to be absolutely loving Epic Games, and we've heard nothing but great experiences from um, developers that um, decided to put their games exclusively on Epic Game Store. Um, and it looks like we're going to see the same when it comes to these three games because they're three huge companies that are putting their games on there. Um, and I mean, you can expect these three games to arguably be game of the year when they come out. I mean, that's the type of studio that they have working on these. So I just think it's, I mean, it's just exciting. This is really exciting uh, to see what Epic Games is doing. How releases for this week, uh, March 31st, which is today, since I'm recording this on a Tuesday, was not able to record yesterday. Uh, Persona 5 Royal is out today for PS4. Zombie Army Trilogy is out for Switch. We've been hearing that Modern Warfare 2, a remastered campaign, will be coming um, to digital stores today. I was kind of looking around. It sort of looks like it's not 100% confirmed yet, so we'll have to just wait and see at the time of this recording. April 3rd, we have 
the big game of the week, which is Resident Evil 3, come to PC, PS4, and Xbox One. The reviews were not super favorable, and that's kind of the weakness from Resident Evil 3 as a game. A lot of people are saying it's short, five, six-hour campaign. Obviously, the Resistance beta, or as I'm calling it a beta, the Resistance multiplayer mode is not really something I think a lot of fans are looking forward to. It just doesn't really look that fun. Um... But uh, I think what's happening is that there were a lot of fans that were really impressed with Resident Evil 2. And I think they looked at Resident Evil 3 as a reimagining almost. And maybe they were going to add a lot more to it. But it doesn't really seem like they did. Um, and it looks like a lot of the reviews are saying that they don't think it's a $60 purchase. So we'll have to wait and see what those sales look like. Uh, time to wrap it up. The stories we just didn't have time to get to. Square Enix announced near replicant version 1.22474487139, uh, which is the actual name of the game. Um, a cheeky way to say uh, it's version 1.5 since the square root of 1.5 is 1.224, all those numbers. Uh, there's new updated version of Near Replicant will include new music, remakes of old songs, and some other new characters. They also announced Near Reincarnation, which is an RPG coming to mobile devices. And Near Automata Become As Gods Edition is coming to Xbox Game Pass for console on April 2nd. Uh, so it sounds really good news. It looks like a lot of fans are really excited uh, to go back to the original Near because it came out a really long time ago. So it's good. It's a good job, a good idea from Square Enix to remaster it, even though they didn't put an actual uh, date out there. I really like when companies use Xbox Game Pass in a similar way that studios and um, TV production Studios have used Netflix, which is I, I I don't really know what to say what or like the official name I want to put on this, but it's sort of one of those things where when um a network knows a new season of show is about to go on their network, um they release the previous season on Netflix for people to catch up on and maybe get some new viewers to tune in. Now, I like it when companies use Game Pass in that similar way, which is releasing near Automata. Uh, for people that might have missed it, I'm personally one of those people that never played it. To be able to play it, hopefully enjoy it, and then look forward to playing this uh, remaster and near replicant when it comes out. Sort of sounds like it will be coming out this year. So it's a very, very smart way to utilize Xbox Game Pass. Uh, Platinum Games is set to reveal the fourth announcement from their Platinum 4 this Friday, um, which is April 1st, I believe. Wait, that's not this Friday. That's uh tomorrow um sorry so not this friday they're set to um reveal their fourth fourth announcement for the platinum four on april 1st the other three were the wonderful one around remastered project gg and the opening of platinum games tokyo i mean personally since they're doing this they decided to announce this on april fools i sort of feel like it's gonna be a game that sort of sounds like an april fools but really isn't um so I think it's going to be a, one of a couple things. Number one, they finally reached a deal with Microsoft for Scalebound. Or number two, this might sound a little crazy, but I kind of don't think it's crazy. I think Platinum Games is going to make a fighting game. This is something that I've been wanting Platinum to, to, to do for quite some time upon playing a lot of their games. I've always said to myself, man, these guys can make an amazing fighting game a 3d arena or even a 2.5d type of game just because when it comes to combat that's really what this company's bread and butter is 
And I think a fighting game from Platinum Games would be really, really cool, especially if they reach licensing deals with, you know, some of their big characters like Beautiful Joe. And, you know, maybe they reach a deal with Capcom and Nintendo and Sega for Bayonetta and some of those characters. That'd be kind of cool to have a Platinum fighting game. But obviously, we'll just have to wait and see exactly what that announcement will be. Uh, last but not least, a few reports made the rounds yesterday. Nintendo was looking to celebrate Mario's 35th anniversary in a big way by releasing remasters for Super Mario 64, Sunshine, Super Mario Galaxy, including a deluxe version of Super Mario 3D World and a new entry into the Paper Mario series. Um, all I personally care about is remaster for Super Mario Sunshine. I'm definitely one of the, it seems like one of the few that absolutely love that game. Still think it's one of the best Super Mario games, whoever hates it. I don't get it. I don't understand why so many people hate this game so much. Um, so uh, Super Mario is going to have a big year this year. What I can see is a couple things happening. Number one, that deluxe version of Super Mario 3D World, if it is real, because all these are, are still rumors, um, that will exist on its own, releasing at $49.99 makes sense. Paper Mario, one, that'll, that'll be a new entry into the series. But I think everything else, they're just going to um, put out a $50 pack. It just makes sense to put all these into one package called the, the Mario Anniversary Collection. Put 64 on there, put Sunshine, put Galaxy 1, Galaxy 2 on there, uh, put all these games into, into into one pack. I think what I would personally do if I was uh, the house of Mario is I would release this to $49.99. But what I would do is that if you buy it within the first week or the first day and you buy it digitally, you only pay 35 bucks for it. I think that would be a, a really cool way to introduce it and kind of tie it into the anniversary. I think that would be pretty cool if they were to do that um and that's it that's our show quick shout out i mean shout out to gaming in the month of march look this month has definitely not been the easiest for a, a, a lot of people i know that there's a lot of gamers that are at home and you know they're catching on to their backlog and hopefully you know you or anyone that you do know have not gotten sick but this this game is this month has been really really tough a lot of families been really really tough on a lot of our first responders around the the u.s um but for gaming as an industry it's actually been a really really strong month i think it's opened the industry up to a lot a lot of people um and march is probably going to go down as one of the greatest months in probably gaming history you know doom eternal set a franchise sales record animal crossing new horizon sold 1.8 million in japan that shattered switch launch records in the uk sold three times what doom eternal sold adding digital sales and making an estimate for u.s sales the game sold approximately five million copies within its first week um we probably won't see exactly what u.s sales are i sort of feel like because of what's happening i think that nintendo doesn't really want to especially nintendo of america doesn't really want to put out those numbers uh, nintendo's always not one to brag um, especially at this time. I don't think they, they feel like that's really important news. Uh, Half-Life Alex released, uh, which was a huge PC exclusive, reached 43,000 concurrent users on launch day. That would obviously have been a lot larger if it was uh, a first-person shooter and not VR necessary. Uh, Steam keeps setting new concurrent user records, uh, 22 million at its peak. All these other games are setting concurrent records like Counter-Strike over a million. Fox Sports inaugural Fox NASCAR iRacing event drew more than 900,000 viewers. We're seeing a lot of companies turning to esports now because they there, there are no traditional sports on TV. The NBA um, is set to air a player-led NBA 2K competition to be broadcast on TV, maybe on ESPN, for example. Um, 
Uh, we don't have official details on that, but there also is, you know, F1 racing is another example um, of a sport that decided, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, one of the leagues in soccer decided to do a FIFA composition competition with real players. So it's, it's very, very interesting to see kind of esports um, uh, kind of be able to have their moment. Now the traditional sports is, has gone down. And I think what this has, has done is I kind of have been feeling that way going around Twitter. You kind of do see a lot of people that are like, okay, what, 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 what is this, this, these video games that people are talking about, you know? Um, and I think a lot more people are beginning to, to, to see or doing their own research to understand what is it about our medium that makes it so unique. So, um, you know, a, you know, in the middle of a really, really difficult time for a lot of people, uh, it's great that we're having this moment in video games where people are beginning to understand why we love our our medium so much. Why is it that we look at this as an escape and why is it that our medium is um, a great tool to deliver amazing stories um, that a lot of people traditionally feel that they can only get from books and films and TV shows. So, um, you know, it's great to see exactly what gaming has been doing this month. So shout out uh, to gaming and gamers around the world. Um, thank you so much for, for joining me this week. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Camp Koji for future updates. Once again, I'm Joel, and I will see you next week. <laughs>